0: Welcome to Raising Parents 2.0, where we learn to take fear and worry out of life and parenting and lead with love and leadership. I'm your host, Saloni Singh, a mom, a life family and self-mastery coach. Every week, I'm interviewing inspiring people from all walks of life to talk about the essential ingredients to create a life that inspires you, your children and make a positive impact in the world too. A life you love living. So let's begin. I'm so grateful that you're here. And today we have a dangerously powerful guest. His name is Trevor Timbak. Trevor is a dangerously powerful creator who does not believe it's possible to understand. I would repeat, who doesn't believe it's possible to understand. There are simply more or less workable ways of misunderstanding. I'm finding it very interesting. As a leadership coach, he works with leaders on the being of leadership. As a husband, dad, son, and brother, he loves spending time with his family at the lake and all things that involve water. He is currently doing his master's in workability as he creates the possibility of a world that works for everyone. Amazing. So let's welcome our guest and uh, Trevor Timback. Hello. Hello. Hi, Trevor. How are you?
1: I am doing wonderful, thank you.
0: Most welcome to the show. And I'm really excited to have some wonderful conversation with you today.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Thank you. So um, I have spoken to you and uh, I have seen your website. There are some very interesting things about you that I I want you to actually tell about yourself, about your journey to the listeners, please.
1: Sure. Uh, My journey to coaching uh, started when uh, I got a promotion and was sweating through my suit every day for a year uh, because I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, I found a wonderful book that I was interested in, uh, written by a coach and convinced the company to hire the coach to coach me and my managers on how to coach our sales team. And I just fell in love with coaching. And that was a bit of a turning point for me in my life from being a very left-brained, analytical, logical, black and white um way of seeing the world to more of a heart-centered path and, you know, just continued on the coaching journey, exploring many different things that I wasn't aware of before and uh, decided to leave the corporate world to focus on coaching full-time. But continuing to work with leaders because I saw how much of an impact that made in my life and my career uh specifically directly from coaching and so i you know continue to work with leaders helping them so they're not either sweating through their suits every day or um, continuing to grow on that journey you know for them as a leader and growing other leaders
0: amazing so you mentioned about a book which book was that may ask
1: so it's actually called uh, Coaching people into Sales Champions oh, by Keith Rosen. And so then Keith was my uh, coach that I worked with for a year and a half in that role, but is the one that really turned me on to coaching and you know how fascinating just the human development journey is as well.
0: Uh, I was reading on your website about change the game. I'm really interested to know what is it change the game and. Uh, how do you change the game?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I'm a big uh, Alan Watts fan. Uh, listening to many of his audios and reading his book, he had a metaphor, life being a game mm-hmm. and noticing that you know all the rules are made up, yet we just don't realize that they're made up and they're often made up by other people and that uh, we actually have the freedom to create a new game, right, if we're not enjoying the game we're playing, which is usually what you know, people typically classify as the rat race. And he quoted Lily Tomlin, who said, you know, the problem with the rat race is even if you win, you're still a rat. (laughs) And so (laughs) that really inspired me of like, how could I change my game, change my rules and help other people to do the same?
0: Right, right. So how did you change the game for yourself? That's the first thing I really want to know.
1: Yeah, so it was really... more than one question, but I tie it back to one question that Keith my coach at the time asked me and as a middle of a session, he said, what does your heart have to do with this? And I, I laugh now thinking back, but I laughed at him and said nothing. Like it's (laughs) all in your brain. People talk about your heart, but that's just a, a quaint way of talking about your thoughts. And from there, you know, we had a very interesting discussion that left, uh, you know, I left the end of that session crying for like 20 minutes because I saw some things and felt some things I had never felt before because I was very much just sort of ignoring or turning off a whole, you know, I don't know if it's a half, but a whole part of myself because I thought, well, it's just the brain. That was my strength, very logical, analytical. And to me, that was a game changer, right? That's the other reason why I use that metaphor there are just certain insights when we see things that mm. i now see are simply world views they're not really how the world works and when i see and uncover both those world views and then create new ones that those are game changers
0: so when you say that you could see the world views which don't work um, i mean which particular views you're talking about I'm thinking. so
1: the, this was the specific one, which was your heart has nothing to do with it, right? That it's all the brain. um, Didn't see that that was just a worldview I had, right? And what Keith really helped me see was that there was a whole other side. And, you know, and then of course, because I am still very logical, you know, I did the research, but to find that, you know, there are neurons in your heart and actually in your gut, right? So we sort of have three brains in the body. And so to me, there's other things that I saw that helped me open up to it, right, because I still rely on that logical side. But that, that worldview was a game changer, and there has been many on the, on the row. But the most recent one, you know, I included that in my bio that you said you were intrigued about is the worldview I didn't know I had as a worldview, which was that it's not possible to understand anything. I thought it was possible and so I was always seeking and really that got me in trouble when I thought I understood something. Yeah. I stopped being curious or I would try to help other people understand what I understood and now that I you know once I saw that that was just a world view it's actually we're only ever misunderstanding just in more or less workable ways. That was a again, a game changer for me to see that that's not actually understanding, even under misunderstanding isn't how the world works. It's just a worldview. And in a lot of areas, it wasn't working well for me. And I was actually then free to create a new worldview.
0: Right, right so how is it different now so you mentioned about you very logical always operating from your you know brain and the uh, logical you know left brain coming to your heart knowing that okay my heart has a role to play in it how practically it is it is different for somebody let's say who's listening and they're also very logical left brain person what would be different if they start you know really open up to to this understanding of that yes our heart has a role to play in it how will practically it would be different
1: so it's a great question for me what it was and part of this journey was the a book by philip shepherd called radical wholeness was seeing that there are other ways of um, being in relationship to the world, right? And he does a good job of explaining that when you're in your head, you're in a known relationship to the world, but in, he talks about like your whole body, in your body, then there's it's possible to have a felt relationship to the world, right? And that there are other ways of knowing. And so to me, that was what started to open up of, of there, okay, there are other ways of knowing other than the abstract, logical, you yes. know, very left-brained, but- what I started to get a sense of, right, and this is where I'm still on this journey, is the heart and the gut doesn't really use words, right? So the brain thoughts, it's all words. It's very easy, And people will say, like my heart speaks to me or my gut tells me, but it's unless you're really listening, right? you don't it's not as loud, and there aren't the words around it, right? But I started getting access to, more intelligence right there's mm-hmm. we tend to have a very narrow definition of intelligence which is you know abstract logical thinking what gets tested on an IQ test right and i love philip shepherd's definition of intelligence is sensitivity so you can have a sensitivity to music a sensitivity to color a sensitivity to art all of that is intelligence so any sensitivity that's grounded is intelligence I started to see like, oh i was cutting myself off from a lot of other sensitivities when you know i had a worldview that it was just my head that was you know the source of my knowledge
0: wow that's that's interesting i've never heard about it before actually that our intelligence is about sensitivity to, to many different things and of course it's not only about mind and thoughts and the logical you know IQ which we always take intelligence as but there's so many other ways we can you know really access our intelligence this is wonderful I would like to know more you mentioned about radical wholeness and the work of Philip Shefford in your world how do you operate from wholeness or how do you even help other people on to, or understand what wholeness is
1: it's one of those things that fascinates me um just that whole concept of wholeness right because it's hard to explain yeah <laughs> yeah and that's the the brain left brain logical it loves to analyze which means to break apart into the parts right and wholeness is the whole right? Not focusing on the parts. And so for me, the, it was again, a, just a different worldview. And I've just noticed that when I come from wholeness, right, and then look at things versus the parts and try to go back the other way, right, and it's not saying one is better than the other. And I've started to see I, like we need both, right? It's the, and um, the reason I'm a big fan of Philip's work is he's a big proponent of integration. Mm -hmm. And that's what I started to see back to your question about how it's pragmatic in the world is the, the head analyzes and breaks apart. It's actually the strength of the heart and the gut to integrate. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you get integration and you can take, you know, different concepts and other things. And people will often use examples of like, well, I got this insight in the shower, right. Or on vacation or whatever. Right. And it's usually because they've you know, given or created some space for, you know, their heart, their gut or other fresh insights to kind of come in. And to me, that's been a good source of the other thing I talked about in my bio uh, of doing my master's in workability, which is just something I, I made up, but it's this, what I've started to learn about wholeness, which is what I call the flow of workability is it, it works, right? The universe works. That's my model for wholeness. I call the universe, the great integrity, Um, is it just works. And there's so much that we can learn from the universe, from wholeness, from integrity, to apply to the rest of our lives. And that's what I've seen in very practical terms when I help corporate leaders, is I noticed where they get stuck and where they struggle is in a distinction I called the web of righteousness, right? When they get stuck in right, wrong, good, bad, you know, I often see people will say, I don't know what to do. What they mean is I don't know the right thing to mm-hmm. do. Right. And when we get them out of that, back into this flow of workability, and sometimes that's through getting in touch with, you know, what's your, gar- your gut or your heart or, you know, wholeness, you know, some of these other things. And there's some body and techniques and other things you can use, right? But it's really coming back into this flow of workability. There's this, what I call the intelligence of the entire universe is now at your disposal.
0: I love this term flow of workability. And I remember when we were talking for, you know, first time you mentioned a lot about that. So I'm really intrigued if somebody is like very left brain and everything is just about numbers and things and, you know, everything is concepts and how that person would really understand that yes this universe works because for them everything is like so pragmatic and they don't understand this language and sometimes people say as well oh you're you're talking about spiritual stuff and this stuff and that stuff and they kind of separate the two worlds which as coaches we of course are talking about the wholeness and they're together Mm -hmm. but for someone who has never experienced that it might be really something totally different and so how can somebody grasp this idea? Can you give like a very simple practical way to understand what is flow of workability and how practically somebody can experience that in their world?
1: Yeah. So I've been exploring it and what I've noticed is um words don't teach, and this is a quote that I love words don't teach, experience teaches. <laughs> yeah. And so typically I use an actual example of something they're facing. Right, and so I, you know, one the most recent one from this week was working with a client who uh, was stuck on a problem, and this is I'm always alert to it by the language we use, right? Either I'm stuck or I'm struggling, and I work with amazing smart people, right? And so when I see that they get stuck or struggling, I know they're in the web of righteousness, and its web of righteousness is characterized by what I call it's too valued, good, bad, right, wrong, fair, unfair, but also it tends to have there's two solutions. There's this or that. And people get stuck because both of them are bad solutions in their mind. Right? Like, well, this isn't going to work and that's not going to work. And so to me, when I start to help them with this distinction, what I love about the flow of workability is it's infinitely valued, right? And there's actually an infinite number of options. So I always know when I or someone is stuck in that web of righteousness, when they can only see one or two or three or four options is, is it. And so he was very stuck, said, you know, said he didn't know what to do. And I talked about this distinction, still wasn't really able to see it. So I just said, um, and this is, there's some good ways of forcing this sometimes. Uh, mm-hmm. I said, okay, as of tomorrow, you can't work on this anymore. So between now and tomorrow, you have to do something, what would you do, right? And the typical response is, oh, I don't know. And I, I know that they do. So we just wait. And th- sometimes there's a little bit of space for a little thought to come up. And all of a sudden, they said, well, I could ask another executive if they could pitch it. It's like, amazing idea. And they said, well, I could ask another executive if I could, if they could give me one of their best people. And then all, like, they just listed off like five or six things. Oh. <laughs> and so I slowed them down and said, like, what happened? Like, what, what was that? Right?" And he noticed it he said oh when i suspend my judgment Mm. of the solutions right all of a sudden these ideas started coming up and then once i got and this is another distinction between in the um web of righteousness there's resistance and you know struggle Mm. in the flow of workability there's this effortlessness to it right that's what i love about it the most is like it's it's effortless and he just started getting things coming and these ideas started flowing and then he came up and it's usually almost always the case came up with something you know amazing actually a few different things where he's like i need to go and talk to these people and but i slowed him down and said you why well, couldn't you see that before right and we talked about it. he's like yeah because in this web of righteousness you get how you see the world it looks very different right and you miss And so I don't always come up in that moment and say, well, you know, this is your heart and this is your gut, like, especially in corporate environments. We, I ease them into that. That's kind of why I've developed this language and distinction around web of righteousness and flow of workability, because people kind of get that. And it's very safe for logical left brain thinkers, (laughs) because it worked for me and I'm a left brain logical thinker. So I used it and actually how I came up with the terms was I used workability i actually started calling them uh, a normative domain versus a positive domain which comes from economics and i i noticed it wasn't working
0: mm.
1: and and so actually working with clients they started giving me feedback and, and there was a client who I, I i was using different terms and they and they, she said to me what was that thing you were talking about that web <laughs> and i was like Amazing, yes. Web, I wasn't calling it web, but I'm going to right because it's sticky and their struggle and and so I've you know if I
0: let, it, yeah.
1: yeah if I let go of there's a right and this is sometimes how I'll say it to people if we if you let go of there's a right or a wrong way to do this yeah. what might you do and then people's creativity starts flowing and you know other things start flowing and that's where I got the flow of workability from. Uh, I just did that with this whole concept. I just started testing, see what works. People gave me feedback and comments. And so I I still don't think this is the final form. What I say is this is my current misunderstanding of it. (laughs) And I may find a more workable way to misunderstand it in the future.
0: Yeah, so I was about to ask this. You mentioned about there's so many workable ways to misunderstand something. Just, just elaborate more on that. What does that mean?
1: So this was a, a good example of it is when I, at least from my experiences, whenever I thought that I understood something or someone, I, I stopped being curious. I stopped looking for things that work. Mm -hmm. And this is what I noticed with myself, really all of the stuff I've been developing was to help me. And I've noticed it's helpful for other people is I like to think I'm a very smart person. um, And yet I do some really dumb things and I do some things that don't work. And so I stopped to look at that was like, why myself and other people i work with why do really smart people do things that don't work
0: mm-hmm. and the
1: only thing i could find was because i thought it was the right thing to do yes as soon as i could see that right and this was the other thing that i saw with that right and wrong was a worldview that. Right and wrong is always made up. There's no such thing actually as right and wrong. It's just made up and it's opinions and all the rest. As soon as I could let go of there was a right or wrong, I started noticing and paying much more attention to what was working and what wasn't working. And I say to people all the time, life is really simple if you just do more of what
0: works. Yeah. So it's more like coming to a solution mindset. And I I feel it's actually very challenging for people because people do get stuck with, you know, this is right. And, you know, and try to prove themselves right all the time. and Otherwise, as if, you know, something they're losing if they don't do that. So it, I think it is a very insecure place for many, many people. Most of us, I would say, where as if uh, you know, where our survival is on stake. It literally feels like that, isn't it?
1: It is, and so I talk to people about the the web of righteousness isn't actually sticky. It's that we cling to it, and I've had clients say they're like, I, I don't want to give up the web of righteousness. It feels so good,
0: <laughs> yeah. right? And
1: it feels so safe, and it feels so comfortable. And so to me, that was. Part of this insight from, you know, the work of Werner Erhard, right, which was really helped me see that the being of human beings is being used by being right and looking good. That is what is using our lives. Yeah, that's the web of righteousness, right? And we like it, right? In that we liked until we see this and we see the cost of it. Um, we like being right, and that's why you know we will trade off being right. Uh, for love in relationships right we would be, rather be right and what i often say to people is if you look at anything in your life that you're complaining about or that you're unhappy about i guarantee you're being right
0: <laughs> right i love that yeah and it is like a safety armor but why do you think is the reason why do people cling to it it's just because it's comfortable it's it's like a safety armor that's why what do you think
1: I think it's it's many things. How I talk about it with people is that that's what it is doing. It's not what they are doing, right? And by it, I mean their, their brain, right? Their mind, its design function is survival, right? Yeah. That is one of the things of evolution, 13.8 billion years. Life is really good at surviving. Mm-hmm. And when we get confused about our identity, it is trying to make whatever we identify as survive and how it thinks it does that is making it right and looking good and so this is where there's this other side of this on the wholeness piece of really looking at who you are right because when we don't know who we are if we identify as ceo or you know any of our roles or you know even as our body or any of these things It's the web gets very sticky because the mind is always showing us evidence to make us right and have us look good because it, it has associated that with survival.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And looking good is a big one, I would say it's a big, big one for so many, so many of us. So uh, what would be your take on if somebody is really stuck in this, you know, web of looking good, let's say the web of looking good. And uh, from that place to really knowing who they are coming to a place of, okay, I want to understand who I am. How would that look like?
1: So what I've noticed is that it's a it's a gentle journey. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning, I used this distinction to make me right, and I would say, like, beat my clients with it and make them wrong. And what I noticed is that didn't work, because yeah. if I was coming from the web of righteousness and making them wrong, or I even say to them, if we if they make being in the web of righteousness wrong, that's mm-hmm. still the web of righteousness, because it's still right and wrong. And so what I've noticed is it's a bit of a gentle journey. And what works is for me to invite them into the possibility, and this is what I love about possibility, is what's the possibility of even that having this distinction, because most people don't have this distinction. They just have the web of righteousness. They don't call it that. Mm-hmm. Once they know there's another possibility, and I invite them usually to stand in the possibility and see what they can see, and this is the point. I made earlier of like words don't teach experience teaches so i can tell them as much as i want it's only when they've had this experience and so the client from this week when i slowed him down afterwards and said like how did that happen right he then was like oh that's the flow of workability yeah right. it's like that's the flow right and it is actually to the philip Shepard point it is more of a felt relationship to the world than a known relationship to the world and so the concepts are concepts, but there's not a lot of power in concepts. Once they've started to experience it and I have them slow down and say like, how did that feel? And that's what they say like, oh, it, it felt effortless. It, it felt like I was in a flow. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what we start using in the beginning is attuning their sensitivity to, you know, noticing the distinction of when they're in the flow. And all of a sudden it's in the beginning, it's people say it's subtle. Yeah. Right. And what I say to them is it's like you just haven't experienced it because at first it feels like telling blades of grass apart, like types of grass. And then as you get into it, you start to see it's actually like the difference between a blade of grass and a lawnmower. Like it's very distinct. Right. The lawnmower being the Web of Righteousness. Right. But as they attune, they start to see that it's not so subtle. Right. It's very clear the Web of Righteousness with the resistance with the I use. W-O-R, web of righteousness, but I I pronounce it war, because that's what it feels like, right? There's overcoming, there's resistance, there's, you know, battles, people often describe it as a battle, right? Mm. And so they have very different feelings.
0: Awesome. You know, when you were describing this, what I had, I was, what's going on in my mind was that 3D images, when you're trying to see it, it's a 3D and you can't see it. You can't, and suddenly you get it. Wow, I can see, I can see the castle or whatever it is. And it's like, Wow! Wow! I get it now. So it's it's very interesting what you said that from going from one web of you know righteousness and then suddenly you're thinking okay I'm wrong again. That there's another web as well because ego game is always trying to make something right or wrong. So we're and, and you're still stuck if you're still in that game. So it's stuck. really like what you're saying is, uh, if I'm understanding right, is that step back and slow down and just start seeing new possibilities of seeing it totally differently, right?
1: And it's the noticing that you probably still have some part of you stuck in the web, right? It may just be a finger or a foot or, (laughs) but you'll notice it because the feeling shifts. But that is the thing is I'm not even sure, and this is just my, my latest misunderstanding, that it's actually possible to be completely out of the web. I don't know that it is. So it's more about when, we are unaware. Mm. Right? So the web of righteousness is, is actually okay, because I, you know, I want my doctor to be right about my treatment and like to use certain, you know, use good, bad, and some of these things from science about proving stuff. And so I don't want us to abolish right and wrong, good, bad, fair and unfair. It's when we are unaware of it, and it's not working. Right, mm-hmm. and we just keep going because it's the right thing, it's the fair thing, it's the appropriate thing. There's, I've discovered, there's a lot of different words for it. Yeah, it's when we're unaware, then we we don't notice that it's not working.
0: Mm. And we are doing the same thing basically again and again and again. And I'm uh, wondering what's going on here. Yeah, how does that? Uh, and uh, the way you say that, okay, this is again my misunderstanding, which sounds just beautiful that you're always open to believe that, okay, I'm misunderstanding something. How does that work in your relationships? Because I know you are, you are a dad, you're a husband, you have family, and a lot happens in our personal relationships. I think that's the ground of biggest misunderstanding, right? So tell us a bit about that. How does it work there?
1: So I I have a lot more experience in how it doesn't work. Um, I have 44 years of, and this is why this worldview has had such an impact for me recently, is I can see in all of the areas as a parent or a husband or a son or a brother when I've been doing something that wasn't working. It's because I was being right, but more than that, it's because I thought I understood And the other person simply didn't understand. And this view, this change in view of worldview, and even just the last little while for me has been helpful in that how I'm being with people like my kids or my wife is is shifting because I'm not being right and wrong, although I'm sure that still happens, but it's much gentler way of being with people because I am aware that I may even be misunderstanding their point of view on this, let alone, I may be misunderstanding, you know, what is going to work or what might be the thing that's the answer here or whatever. Right. And so for me, that's been the biggest impact is there's just a different way of being with people. When I know that I am misunderstanding it and I don't have the, the hubris or cockiness or all the other things that would come from like well I understand you don't understand I know let me help you understand
0: (laughs) wow but uh, that's not that easy to do isn't it (laughs) we keep on falling in the same trap again and again so what would be a good way to start really believing that okay maybe there is something I'm not understanding here okay maybe there is something I need to look into even What would be a good way to, for somebody maybe who is uh, really struggling or to understand, have teenagers, (laughs) that's a perfect place of misunderstandings. (laughs) I work with teenagers and parents, so I know very well, and I have teenagers at home.
1: Yeah, it's the thing that I am, it's part of my master's in workability is like what really works here? Because what I've noticed is what you think and what you believe um, doesn't actually have very much power right? Because push comes to shove, what I think and believe can go out the window, right? Mm -hmm. When I, you know, confronted with something with someone I love, right? And it's like, although I believe, like, because I, I believe that, you know, we should love each other and that, you know, we should always get along. And it's like, and yet I can get into an argument with someone and, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it's like, well, how does that make sense? Like, I believe this, yet this happens. What I, the reason I talk about worldviews is to me our performance, our being, and doing in anything is correlated to how the world occurs to us, mm-hmm. and so how the world occurs to us is shaped by our worldview. It's like putting on a pair of glasses, right? And and when the world just looks like this, it just makes it's just obvious for me to behave a certain way. And so for me, the biggest shift isn't from what I think or believe; it's what I'm, how I'm being. It's how the world occurs for me. And that's why I said, like, when I discovered that this was a worldview, one, I, I realized it was a pair of glasses I was wearing, but now I had this freedom to create a new worldview for myself, which mm-hmm. is this worldview of there's only misunderstanding. And so, you know, potentially there will be times when that's not how it's occurring to me. What I've noticed is that along with the worldview, what helps is the language right? Because how the world occurs for us is in language. And so I say to people all the time, like I did there, of like, well, this is my current misunderstanding. Or the other, you know, someone said, does that make sense? And I said, yes, I think I misunderstand you, mm. right? And so people tend to usually laugh, right? And it, and it brings in some humility and other things. But I know I am also saying that for my benefit, right? I am reminding myself with my language, right? I am shaping and creating how the world occurs for me. Hmm. So that it's not just simply something I remember or something I believe, because push comes to shove, that stuff tends to go out the window.
0: Hmm. What I understand is not just words and belief as well. It's really something you are really processing as well when you're saying that, isn't it? And you're saying, okay, it's my current misunderstanding. And maybe I'm misunderstanding you. You're, and that's what I'm understanding. You're really trying to look into different things. Like, how this thing could be different than what I am believing or what I am feeling about it. Right. Yeah. Uh, I remember uh, when we met, uh, Trevor, you mentioned about something your son was asking you about and advice that was very interesting.
1: Yeah. So he is very wise and um, he asked great questions. And one day he said, you know, if you, to my wife and.
0: How old is Trevor? He's
1: 14. He said, if you could only give me one piece of advice. And I love him, that he, he's like that. He's very similar to me of like, boil it down. I just want one. Like, don't, you know, I don't need all of these. Yeah. Give me the one. And so there's a clarifying thing there. And I was thinking about it while other people gave their answer. And the thing that came to me, right. And I, and this is where I say like that came from my heart, my gut, probably not from my mind in that moment, right. Was I said to him, don't, my only advice for you, if I can only give you one thing is don't trade love for being right right and that's what i can see in all of my relationships and at, even at work right you know mm-hmm. where i we don't always use the word love at work but i could see that it's like where i was without love or not having workable relationships is because i was trading it away for being right i was i was preferring and choosing to be right over having love yeah. and so that was my advice to him of like if you can and i is. Precautionary because he's very like me. He's very left brain, very logical. Brain. And so I can see, you know, I say he's like a mini me. You know, I see that he could easily have that tendency that I had, right? But I already see that he's way further ahead than I was. So
0: don't trade love for being right. I love that. I love that. And uh, uh, I believe that came from your own experiences as you just shared that how the need to be right can just, we can simply just let go of the love in our heart in that moment and not realize what we're doing, right? And could could he really get it? I'm just curious to know, what did he get out of this?
1: (laughs) So time will tell. Um, I do think he asked, like, you know, what do you mean? And so I, again, I went to some experience, right? And I think I used some examples with him, right? And he and I have had, you know, conversations where you know, we were getting into an argument over something or whatever, right? And it's always that case where, you know, I was choosing being right over admitting I was wrong, or this, to me, it was a good example, because what I've noticed about right and wrong, now that I've been studying it so much is, for me to be right, someone has to be wrong. And in a relationship with just two people, it means the other person is wrong and when i saw that it's like why would i want to make someone i love be wrong that was a big part of it and then the, the last part for me that. was when
0: i really want to slow down this this is so lovely why do i want to make somebody i love wrong that's what you said right yeah let just tell us more yeah
1: well it's funny because i think i saw that earlier i i had this sort of what i thought was like this moral high ground of like well, if I'm right, I have to be right. Mm-hmm. Like right is above this. Mm-hmm. And so it was, the, for me, the last piece was seeing that right and wrong is made up. Mm-hmm. Once I saw that, that was the last, You know, in the house of cards, the whole house crumbled because I was like, well, if it's made up, then it's made up. And so then it makes no sense mm-hmm. to make someone I love be wrong because I'm making it up. Previous to that, I had a worldview that I didn't know as a worldview, I had a worldview that right was the truth, mm. right? It really was right. It's not that it, it was made up to be right. And once I could see again, that that was worldview, not actually how the world was, then it just became very obvious to be- And then
0: that seems right. very real at that moment when you're having so much you know, belief about that worldview, that's the whole reality. <laughs> you can't go out of that box, right? That's what you're talking about. I think that was yeah. a really, yeah, wonderful point in, in, in this whole conversation. So I would love to, uh, you know, ask you this last question um, travel. Uh, if you have to give one message to our listeners or viewers, how to create a life that they would love living, what would you say? You're given a lot of nuggets already, <laughs> amazing nuggets. But uh, what would you, how would you just summarize this all for them?
1: So I love the word create in there. And so for me, the difference that has made the difference is seeing that I do actually create it all, Mm -hmm. like all of it. Um, And so if I know I am creating all of it, and I know that right and wrong is made up, it just makes no sense for me to create things that don't work. Mm Right. Right. And so now when I notice something's not working and I notice I am the one who's created it that way, I know I can create it to work. Right. And so to me, that's the biggest part in the in that whole create a life you love living, right? Is create. Right. Mm -hmm. If I am creating, and I've always said to people, you know, if I was offer a course in this, you know, the basic course would be you create everything. Mm -hmm. And the advanced course would be. You create everything. No, really. <laughs>
0: yeah. Awesome. Love that. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Trevor. It was amazing, amazing to conversate with you. And I know it's your nighttime. I can see. <laughs> Where are you sitting? Are you sitting in, uh, because I was just wondering, uh, it's a bit dark. Is your family sleeping? What's it that- is.
1: It, it, they are all sleep- <laughs> They are all sleeping. So I told them I would try to be quiet and not wake them so I'm in the basement
0: basement that's what I thought you're in the basement <laughs> awesome thank you so much for taking time out where can our listeners find you where, where can they find you
1: yeah so the, the easiest way is uh on the internet uh, dangerouslypowerful.com
0: awesome awesome I'll be putting that in the show notes thank you so much for coming on the show Trevor it was a thank little- you. To you thank you Wow, that was a wonderful conversation with Trevor. Don't trade love for being right. When you realize that actually we're always creating misunderstandings, most of the times there are so many ways to create that. And when we notice what is not working, we have the power to create endless possibilities that will work for us with the flow of workability. And when we start to connect with the wholeness within us and not rely only on our brain and our thoughts, rather start to tap into our heart, our being, our gut as a whole being, the endless possibilities start opening up. I think that was the crux of the conversation with Trevor. You can find him on dangerouslypowerful.com and I will be writing the details in the show notes. And uh, if you like the podcast, please do share with other people and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or Castbox. As you might know that I create uh, twice a year, self mastery soul circle with a small group of men and women. Where we talk about in a group coaching session over a few months' journey how to connect with your inner being, how to tap into the wholeness that we were talking about, and live from a place of wholeheartedness, live from a place of connection with your own spirit and the spirit of universe. If you'd like to know more about the program, you can send me an email at coach at salonesing.com. And if you want to apply for the same, you can do that as well. I will see you soon in the next episode with another wonderful guest. Till then, keep growing, keep evolving, and keep inspiring yourself, your children, and the world as you create a life you love living. Bye-bye.